Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. So if you've been here the last few weeks, this is part three of what I've been calling the ecology of a missional disciple. The ecology of a missional disciple. Now, ecology is actually a scientific term, and what it is is it's the study of relationships among living organisms, including humans, and their physical environments. So the reason I I chose that word is because for some reason, like I said, I think that we all profess, you know, God, I follow you, God, I serve you, like I'm a disciple of you. But if we were to put you under the microscope, and assess your interaction and involvement with your physical surroundings, would the people around you and the places that you frequent say the same thing? See, in my opinion, the mission field today, yes, even though it is overseas, it is right now what is around you. The people you come into contact with, the grocery stores you shop at, the nine-to-five desk that you share next to someone else. See, that missional disciple is ultimately what we've been talking about. Because in this day and age, I think we've, we've rationed off what we think being a missional disciple or person or missionary type of a thing is into, okay, well, that's for one season of faith. That's for, you know, when you're on fire, and, but then when life hits, which we've all had that speech, right? But, but what I want to challenge us on today is the belief that we carry a missional aspect with us every day of our lives. And if we don't practice that, in my opinion, what I see is when people walk away from God, it's because they're dissatisfied. And the reason they're dissatisfied is just because they've never been modeled fully what it means to live for him and face the choice of, I can't pay that cost. See, boredom is a real thing in faith. And I was reading a quote that just so struck me. And it said, we're not spiritual enough today to engage our culture. We've stripped down everything about following God to, the, to biblical best practice and the seven-step model and whatever it is. But to be people who live and breathe and move in his being, a missional disciple, not one who is a disciplined learner, but one who is a disciplined follower, disciplined hearer, and one who, as a discipline, engages those who are lost, broken, overlooked, unseen, and defeated. A missional disciple. You know, I, I'll never forget this story. Uh, and a few years ago, I was uh, preaching at a, at a church, and when I got off the stage afterwards, there was like a medical emergency in the crowd. And what, what was happening was, and it was, a, it was a big event, but I like was there and this kid was like just like thrashing on the ground and kind of going crazy. And it, it actually came up that he was having um, a reaction. Man, I wrote down what the reaction was because I just dang forgot it. Shingles. Okay. <laughs> he was having a shingles reaction in the crowd. And I remember he's like writhing on the crowd, kind of screaming. And I remember I like grab his shoulder. And, you know, I was raised with a mother who would just grab you, you know, just go crazy. And, and I remember I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's like early on. You're like, like, God, would you please like help him, you know? But in this particular instance, I'm like, I just got done preaching. I got to do my job. 
like, literally, I like grab his shoulder. And I'm like, what are you dealing with? He's like, I've got shingles. I'm having a shingles reaction. And I'm like, I hope that's not contagious. But we're... <laughs> Fun fact, I was a missionary in India, literally came back, had an extreme skin reaction, and I was working in a leprosy colony. Dead serious, I was quarantined before it was cool. <laughs> literally at a hospital like four days. My mom didn't even come see me either. She's like, you'll be fine. I'm like, I might be a leper. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, I remember this one. I'm like praying for him, and I'm like, man, I just got done preaching. We're going to bust this loose. Command the spirit of the spirits. And I remember I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And like as as time goes on, I just get hotter and hotter. But I remember I'm like going and then I realize like, oh, this kid's not shaking. Like, oh, this kid's not really. I like open my eyes and he's just like laying there looking at me like, what are you doing? And I look at him and I'm like, oh, are you good? Like my face like, yeah, he's good. Because you're a good God, you know. So you're a good, good father, you know. Um, but I remember I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm like, are you good? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, I actually think I am. And he goes, but it'll flare up later. I like looked at him. I went about, bah! No. no, I like looked at him and I'm like, what, what do you mean it'll flare up later? He goes, well, I have this reaction sometimes. So I, I guarantee it'll, it, it's gone now. But it'll probably pop up later. And I looked at him, and that was such a profound moment to me to be in need in a moment where you're literally like, call an ambulance. And the next moment, you're like, oh, it passed, but it'll come back around. And isn't that a crazy thing to process? But how many of us in this room have ever been through experiences where God has got us through? And instead of being like, wow, God, thank you for taking that away, it's like, well, there'll be something else. And what I want to challenge us today is this. We've been talking about the ecology of a missional disciple, and there are five aspects we've been talking about. The first one was seeing. That was week one. The second one is caring. And the third one this week is praying. Now, this is going to be a different message. Some of you guys are like, oh, another sermon on prayer. Like, no, this is a different aspect of prayer that we're talking about because I believe a prayerful life is one that isn't just in tune with the needs and desires of our hearts, but instead is in tune with the needs and desires of those around us that then has an active practice of participating in praying for other people. It's actually funny, I was reading a book, Barna, and it said that 52% of adults over the age of 21 believe that praying in public for somebody else that is not, that they do not know is extremist, extremist religious behavior. And it was profound to me because really when we talk about it, we have started to condense the spiritual rhythmic practice of following Jesus to this time alone or in church in which we insulate in bubble wrap every part of our being to not interact with a world that really is the faith upgrade that we pray that God upgrades in us. What I mean by that is if you actually step out to missionally engage a community that you don't think actually wants to receive it and then find out that they do, that's the upgrade we pray for. God, I pray that you're real. He's like, why don't you take the realness that you know, use it, and then you you might find that there's more realness that I'll give to you. And I tell you that story, though, to start because I think today is about us changing our minds from the flare-up mindset of I'll just get through it to a mind that sees the things others are going through 
and engages along time, alongside those people in prayer. How many of us have looked at people like, oh, that's, man, they're going through it, but it's just a season. Oh, that's a tough situation. I'll pray for them from a distance. Oh, yeah, there's a need right there. It's right in front, literally right in front of me. You know, I, I'm a little bit busy. Last night, I'm praying and studying for this. And as I'm praying and studying for this, I remember the Lord's like, hey, Micah, remember this person you haven't talked to that I've put on your heart. I want you to write down right now, first thing Monday, you're calling them. Because you're going to preach on this, but you're going to live this. And I wrote down their name and the time, 9.44 p.m. last night, because I'm going to call them on Monday and said, I don't know what you were doing at 9.44, but I know God had you on my heart. See, that is an interesting way to live. Because people are not used to being confronted with the fact that somebody might be believing on their behalf. Might be actually calling on a living God, even though they are living in death and trusting that even their voice and petition will be the thing that breaks through the ice blockage of their soul. What I'm saying to you today is this, is the easiest thing you can actually do is pray for somebody because it's not about you praying for them, it's about you responding to God wanting to meet them. So today I'm actually going to focus on a passage And this is kind of an unorthodox passage to focus on here, but I believe it's profound and powerful in the implication that it means for a missional disciple to live in. And it's Matthew chapter 26, 36 through 46. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's read. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and his two sons of Zebedee with him and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face, praying, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but your will be done. Verse 41, keep watching Oh, never mind. This is uh, verse 40. And he said, and he, and he came to the disciples. It's because Tia walked in 45 minutes late. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch for me for one hour. Keep watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them again and went away, praying a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. Behold, the one who is betraying me is near. I'm going to kind of reframe this entire passage through three particular points. And really the title, I guess you could say, is to, of today's kind of sequence of events is how your prayer life lives on mission right now. How your prayer life can live on mission in a way that actually cares for, interacts, and takes ownership for the world that we live in. I cannot tell you how frustrated I get with Christians who just complain about how fallen the fallen world is. You're just like, that's, that's the point. 
right? The point is, is that the enemy is in control of the fallen world. And if you have an awareness of the fallenness of it, that's more actually a challenge for you to engage it, not critique it. And our goal as a missional community here is to be people who don't just critique a fallen world, but engage the fact that it's fallen, believing that in a fallen state, there's resurrection power, which is the foundation of all that we believe. Why would we be mad at fallen when all that is is an opportunity for resurrection? How your prayer life lives on mission. The first one, we have long points here, so just strap in, it's fine. Number one, being present in someone's need, pain, story, struggle, or trauma as someone who keeps watch through prayer is love on display. The playbook of missional prayer for others is just sitting, being awake and aware of the needs they have and giving them to God repeatedly and rigidly for as long as they need us to. Your presentness is your gift. My prayer list I pray for weekly has incredible stories. If you didn't know, when I talk about kind of this rigid habit and routine, is I believe there's kind of this reintroduction, not of lifeless religion, but the religion that expanded across the globe, which is the Christian faith. Part of that is me and my wife, we believe in the aspect of prayer and fasting. So every Sunday I'll go out to lunch after this and then I'll fast till tomorrow night. And on Monday morning, I have a list of any person who right now has requested a a prayer in this church. And on my walk on Monday morning, the very first thing I do is I wake up and I walk the same route around my neighborhood and I pray for those needs. On that prayer list, I pray for weekly. There are incredible stories Stories of God's miraculous healing from deathbeds, cancer, and disease. Marriages restored, children born of mothers that, that shouldn't have happened. Careers and callings that came from nothing for people who thought they were defeated nobodies. But as prayers to an outsider don't seem, but also there are prayers to an outsider that aren't answered. There are sudden deaths and losses, sickness that comes back after being gone and you thought it was defeated, marriages that disintegrated and never recovered with children's lives damaged in the, we- in, in the wake. I have had triumphs of faith answered and low points of doubt on that walk, but I still keep watch. Week after week, year after year, for some requests, because the weightiness cannot Replace the watchfulness people need in the dark nights. If you notice, Jesus, when he asks the disciples to come with him, he doesn't say, will you pray for me? The request wasn't, hey, will you, it's, will you keep watch with me? And what I'm trying to kind of get us to this place of, of organizing around is not this like, oh yeah, I'll like pray for you. No, I will keep watch besides you. In the pain and the brokenness that you're experiencing, in the persecution you're about to encounter, in the blood that is pouring out of your pores in that moment, which we know is happening, I'm watching on your behalf. See, watchfulness has to be a posture of those who believe because there are so many people who are just looking for somebody to keep watch with them. You know what's interesting is he says keep watch and, and 
The most fascinating part about that is because the, the, um, the overlooked passage in Matthew 26 that I believe many people don't quite understand, and I want to just speak on for a second, is that passage, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, in verse 40, is actually spoken to Peter. Now what's fascinating about that, and I'm going to read this quickly, is this is Jesus did not ask his disciples for, other thing, for anything other than to sit and keep watch. Only, in Pete, only to Peter in verse 40 does he actually ask to watch and pray because spirit is willing and flesh is weak. But the interesting part of this is that hours later it would be Peter who would deny him three times. We read this and think it's Jesus asking Peter for prayer on his behalf. But in actuality, there is a case that can be made that Peter needed more prayer at that time than Jesus in the garden. Sometimes the prayers others are asking you to pray for them do more for your soul than for theirs. See, Peter's literally, he's like, hey... The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Can you keep watch with me? And Peter's like, yeah, I know. You, you've been talking about this persecution thing. And like, man, I've been with you. We'll see. But Jesus is not, he's, he's worried about himself. But I guarantee he's looking at Peter and he's like, man, your spirit is willing. But your flesh is about to encounter a weakness that you've never known. You're going to see me hang. You're going to deny me three times. And then I'm going to trust you to usher in an era of church expansion that has never been seen on the face of the planet. I hope that after this is all over, your spirit is willing and so is your flesh. What I want to challenge us today is this posture of who are we keeping watch for? Who are we sitting and posturing ourselves to say, God, I'll watch for them. I'll stand with them. I'll be present with them. I'll come alongside them. I'm not saying, here's the deal, I'm going to even boil it down to the most rational everybody can do. If all of us left today and we know one person in need and we texted him and said, hey, you are on my heart today. And just so you know, I'll be praying for you for as long as you want me to every week. Do you know what that does to people? Do you know what that does to other people's faith? When you make a commitment to, I will watch, stand, and be present in your trial and tribulation, trusting that even though I may not have the answers, that I will see this become a testimony from this test you don't believe you'll pass. Keep watch. The second thing is this. Sometimes prayer is all we can do, should do, are able to do, barely want to do. And feel we are even kind of qualified to do. Make it a habit to do it. Bearing one another's burdens sounds like a lot until you're the one who needs to be carried. Practice carrying for one day. We all need to be carried. Galatians 6.2, bear each other's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. I love that this is like, you know, we know that the, the bare minimum, what are the greatest commands, okay? Love the Lord your God. Right? Love your neighbor. But fulfilling the law, hey, can, let's, let's take away this. There, and if you know anything about the New Testament, there's a huge debate on what they should be doing of the law. Okay, should everybody be circumcised? Like, okay, but the food sacrifice to idols, like what if it's a ribeye? You know, it's like, it's like what if it's really good pizza? Like, I don't care if Baal was there. I'm eating the pizza. What if it's Sonic mozzarella sticks? Luke? 
Who eats Sonic still? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. A cherry limeade is a cherry limeade is okay. A cherry limeade is okay. But eating Sonic's food is like I mean that's worse than a gas station. Um, hopefully nobody works at Sonic here. If you need tickets, though, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, well, we got really off track there. There's a huge debate in the New Testament about what parts of the law they should sustain, uphold, keep doing, because the blood has purchased a new covenant, and Hebrews does a great job breaking down this new covenant, in which I was reading Hebrews 6 last night. It's like, I've written the law now on your minds and on your hearts. Like, this is the new covenant. You don't keep a, a mosaic code of conduct anymore. And so this debate is going on, and this statement, in my opinion, is extremely profound within the historical context. Galatians 6.2, bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law. Wait, what? You, like, if I just bear other people's burdens, I'm going to fulfill it all? And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that, but I think that's such an interesting invitation that we would just be people who bear others' burdens and from that place fulfill what God has called us to do. What if I challenge you today? Some of us are like, God, what am I called to do with my life? Bear others' burdens. Okay, but God, like, what, like, practically? Bear others' burdens. Okay, but God, like, what about, like, on a platform or with my gift? Bear others' burdens. But, like, what about on social media? Because everybody has to see that I do it. Bear burdens. What? Who else's burdens are you bearing? And I challenge you today to seek out a burden that somebody needs watched alongside. Somebody needs somebody to be present with. Somebody needs somebody to stand alongside. And I promise you there will be a missional aspect in your discipleship that will do something at the core of your humanity. You know, I'll never forget, I was homeschooled and it was terrible. Wow, some of you, some people in here are like fighting words. We got some parents in here. I was private, public, and homeschooled. I was the trifecta. And it was because all three couldn't hold me down. <laughs> I rose, God. But here's the thing. The only problem with homeschool is that my mom was a strong-willed woman, and whatever she was doing that was spiritual, you better believe she was taking me with her. <laughs> And I can't tell you how many hospital visits and nursing home things. And I'm like 13. I'm like, Mom, please. I just want to play Madden. <laughs> but one particular instance I'll never forget. When we talk about bearing each other's burdens and how prayer, even if it's the only thing you do, can be one of the most profound things you do. Is I'll never forget this to this day. My mom, for years, went and saw this same lady. And her name was Jane. Jane had rode on the back of a motorcycle and her boyfriend had a wreck and she had slammed the concrete and went into a coma. My mom knew her family had never met Jane personally. My mom went month after month, year after year. She never came out of that coma and she didn't survive. And I went with my mom no less than five times to pray for this woman. And you know, I was thinking about that story this week, and I've never actually shared this, but I was thinking about that story 
Because why would I share something in which God didn't intervene on the behalf of a miracle? Because I think there was something God was doing that might have been deeper in me than just seeing a miracle in front of me. And it's the faithfulness to bear a burden. It's the faithfulness to say, I've never known you. I've never had a conversation. But if you need me to keep watch, I'm going to be in this chair. You may not ever know my name. You may not have ever shook my hand. But I will bear your burden. And I think that as a culture and as a community that tries to distance, isolate, and, and insulate ourselves from a world that is begging for others to bear our burdens. What happens when we bear the burden? It's not a way, if you are rhythmically following God, it's not a weightiness, it's an anticipation. What do I mean by that? The weightiness is when you don't believe because rhythmically you haven't lived a lifestyle in which you believe that God can act on your behalf. But when you bear burdens rhythmically and you have the habits and disciplines of faith intact, what happens is it's an anticipatory waiting in which you're not looking and saying, God, I'll play for this endlessly and hope it happens. It's God, I know you're going to do something and I'll keep striking the ground because I know it's going to do something for their faith, but it's going to be doing something for mine as well. See, the missional aspect of somebody who keeps watch in prayer and in waiting and in the repeatedness of it is not for your credit. It is not for your cloud. It is for him to show that fulfillment of the law for a son and daughter who was okay bearing the burdens of this world. What do you think Jesus even did? I talked about this I believe it was at Easter, but there's a medical belief that God, that Jesus didn't, didn't die from the suffocation on the cross. He didn't die from, from the sword that went into his side. He was already dead. And that the water and the blood, when it's, when it's shot out, what happens is, is when your heart fails, there's a layer of water that surrounds your heart. So when that sword went in, and it says in John that water and blood spat out, they actually believe that there was, it was heart failure because of the shock and stress he was under. The burden he was carrying caused his heart to stop. Yes, there was beatings. Yes, there was bruisings. Yes, there was torture. But there was a burden that caused his heart to stop beating. And I want to challenge you today that God is saying to us as a church, will you carry the burdens of those around you? Because for too long, the church has been too surfacy, too arm's length. It's been too polished. It's been too perfect. And to have any need at all is a sign that, oh, God must not be there. He must not be present. No, we bear burdens here. And I pray that you bear burdens out there. My last point is this. Can I pray for you is not a one-time commitment. It's a spiritual investment into someone until the need is met or the answer is made. People with little faith learn a lot from people with a lot of faith who choose to not back down from darkness, fear, and doubt. To pray without ceasing is just a saint who won't stop believing that they will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. How many times did Jesus check on his disciples to see if they were keeping watch three times. Three times he checks, and we know that he knows the answer. But why does he keep checking? 
I believe this is such a profound moment that's missed in this story. If Jesus checked three times on his disciples to see if they were praying for the urgency of the hour, how often do you think he checks on you to see if you're praying for the needs and the urgency of the hour of those around you? How many of us do I believe God is walking up in the garden of life and shaking us and saying, open up your eyes and pray for the urgency. Open up your eyes and pray for the ones who have a burden. Open up your eyes and understand the time that you live in and not be critical and shameful and condemning to it, but rather say, God, give me an upgrade of strength for the burdens that will be on my back. This is the missional disciple. One who is not okay with a 30-second gospel presentation on the street, but one who will walk up alongside and bear a burden. I was locking up the fence here, this is a few months ago, and as I was locking up that fence, there was a guy right on the fence that he was stretching. It was pretty hot out that day, and I'm locking up the fence, and I say, hey man, are you okay? You, you doing Okay. And I mean, it's hot, because it's Arizona. We all know I don't even got to say it. And he looks at me, he goes, yeah, man, I just got this back pain, real bad back pain. And I literally look at him, and I'm like sweating, just locking the gate. And I'm like, all right, God, I guess we're going for it. And I'm like, well, here's the deal, man. I believe in Jesus. I believe he could touch you. And I believe that you crossed my path for a purpose today. Can I pray for you? And he looks at me, and he's like, Sure. And I like grab, touch him on the shoulder and I just start praying for him. And I remember, th- I remember praying for him. And, you know, before I went to like level 12 nuclear, like, we're going to God right now. You know, before we- <laughs> some of you guys are like joking, right? I'm, you know, I'm joking. Not really. Anyway, um, as I'm praying for him, I remember the Lord still my spirit. And I stop and I look at him and he's looking at me and he's smiling. And I think he's just genuinely dumbfounded that some random would pray for him on the street. And he looks at me and he's smiling. And I get done praying and I say, hey man, have a good day. I'm going to be praying for you. And he looks at me and he goes, thank you so much. And just walks. Now my Christian mind, I didn't ask him if he was healed. I didn't ask him for a testimony of what God had just done. I didn't ask him if the blood, if he needed that. I had been present in his burden. And I want to say this to you in closing. There's something about that exchange that has stuck with me. The fact that I had seen him, prayed for him, touched him, and been there in his pain. That almost had done more for him than if the pain was gone. What if we as Christians have been getting it wrong the entire time? That there is actually two sides of prayer. A, pair, a power that can heal and a presence that can lift. See, some of us, that's why we prayed even in this service today. Some of us, I believe in the miraculous power of God in this moment, but I also believe in a presence that can lift. And that man walked away and he didn't ask me to keep going. He didn't tell me that his pain was gone, but I can tell you this, he walked away and there was a presence that had lifted him. Missional disciples today, would we be the ones who will pray and carry each other's burdens? Would we be the ones who will keep watch? Would we be the ones today who recognize the opportunity of the hour to stand with, alongside?
and to lift those around us. Stand to your feet. In closing today, I want to pray this over us. If you've been here before, you know that uh, I like to just write a prayer based off of the sermon and then read it over people. So whatever your posture for receiving is or whoever you are today, I pray that this prayer would meet you where you are. Father, teach us to pray. Not just for our needs, families, finances, and creature comforts, but for those in our paths every day. Today we ask that you would birth in us a life of prayer that sees its habits and priority as a mission field to engage a fallen world. Today we say that we will not fall asleep, we will stay watchful for those who are in the trials and testings of life. Shake us from the heaviness and tiredness of routine existence and stoke the fire of our faith within. Our prayers are needed today. Our presentness is needed today. Our life is needed today. May our willingness to utter the phrase, can I pray for you? Bring us more fulfillment than we ever realized we could receive. May this church be a, can I pray and stand with you, church? Not as a one-time cop-out, but a commitment to carrying each other's burdens in the belief that you are the ones who carry us. Load us up, God. For it is you that makes the yoke easy and the burden light for those who are gentle and humble of heart. We believe our prayers can be the antidotes in a world weary and worn out of doing anything in its power to find meaning, purpose, and answers. Today, give us the faith and capacity to pray prayers for the sick, the lost, the broken, the anxious, the depressed, the addicted, the families hanging on by a thread, those who don't believe they have a family or can have a family, those who need answers, the enslaved, the exploited, the marginalized, the overlooked God. Today, make our prayers a mission field for the advancement of your kingdom in the midnight hour of darkness, when the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, we will keep watch. Amen.